letting you know. And we need you, and uh, we need to learn from you, and I want you to hear today's message with the ears knowing that we're going to try, but we're trying real hard. So today's about families, and um, for the, uh, and also, sixth grade through senior, you also have influence in kids' lives. The younger generation looks up to you more than you realize. And you might realize it, but whether you have siblings in your house, or you are just here, um, your presence, they're always looking up to you. So just, just know that, not, do not take that for granted. But we're going to talk about family and the vital role that families play in the lives of kids. Now the church family plays a big role, um, a very important role. The unfortunate reality is that um, many families believe that the church is the place where we learn about Jesus, and then it doesn't translate into the home. We don't know as parents how to take what we learn on Sundays and apply it into our home lives. So here we've uh, we've started this uh, this kind of new philosophy. It's called Orange. You've heard us talk about it. It's not going away anytime soon. But the idea behind Orange is that the church has the 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 church is the light represents Jesus and it's yellow, and then the family represents the heart of the of the student of the child, which is red. And so yellow and red make orange. That's kind of the idea. But the role of this church and the ministries of this church and all that we do here for that next generation is not just to teach about Jesus, but it's to help partner with parents in order to lead their homes and their kids, to equip families with their own faith journey. Because you can show up here at church, and that's great, um, but you got to show up for your families and at home. And whether you're not a parent, um, we all have kids in our lives. And if you care about the future of the world, and you should, because these kids are going to be running the world, and so we want them to run it in the way that Jesus would have us run it, right? We want them to make really good decisions about our assisted living facilities when we're older as well. So we need to show them that they matter, and we love you so much. But the best chance to have influence in someone's life is to actually show up. If you want significant influence, you have to show up. And there is no more important place to show up than in your own home. Or, for those of you who have kids, show up in the places you have connection with kids. And sometimes it's hard for us to show up because we can show up, you know, like we, we're at home, we're together, but strategically showing up. I mean, we want to teach our kids and lead our families, but it doesn't always work. We don't see immediate results. You know, we say the same thing over and over, and it like, doesn't seem to change. It's like... Raising kids is what, like, feeling jello into a tree. Um, but we're so close, sometimes it's hard for us to see how that, um, how that influence is, is working. A toddler isn't going to thank you for disciplining them or wiping their nose or using the toilet. Um, no toddler like that. Um, and your middle schooler probably isn't much different. Might say thank you for buying the third pair of shoes this year because their feet keep growing and growing and growing. Um, but they're not going to take you out to coffee and sit you down and say, hey, mom, thanks so much for all the influence you've had in my life, making my life better. And the chances are, if you were to think about it, you've had people show up consistently in your life over time, and it's made an impact on who you are, even though you didn't see immediate results. So how do we make the most out of the time we have with the kids in our lives? And I think we have to change the way that we view influence. 
See, the best kind of influence is personal. Jesus modeled that. God said, I want to be with my people, and I want to reconcile them back to myself. I want a relationship, a personal relationship. Somebody said, Jesus, and Jesus is going to come and model. And Jesus did that for us. He, he said to Zacchaeus, hey, I've come to your house today. And Peter and Andrew and James, come, follow me, we're going to fish for some people. And Mary and Martha goes to her house and sits and you know, says, Mary, you're doing the right thing. This is it, sitting at my feet and learning. And Jesus showed up for people in the places where they were, in the phases of, the life, of, of life that they were in. And he was earning a different kind of influence. See, we're, we're confused about influence because we automatically think if we have power, then we have influence. So that might work for a three-year-old, some three-year-olds, let you have power. Um, but the three-year-old's not going to be a three-year-old forever. And as they grow, your type of influence will change in their lives. And we think that sometimes if we have success, we should have influence. Like, as a parent, you know, you go to work, you've got credibility outside of the house, you know. If you've got a great job, or you have this impressive portfolio, or you um, lead a, a great team and manage a staff, and people listen to you. And, Everyone says that you're, you know, a great leader, and then you come home, and then your 16-year-old won't listen to you. And you're like, you should listen to me. People think I'm smart. I have good things to say. I drive a Dodge Stratus. <laughs> but they don't listen because, uh, oftentimes, because you show up in a way that doesn't translate into their world. Because their world is very different than your workplace. And then we're also confused about influence because we think if we have positional authority, that's the same as influence. You know, you're in charge, I'm the boss, I'm the matriarch, you're the TSA. People listen to you because you have the right to tell them what to do. So we can have power over someone, we can have authority over someone, but the best way to have influence is to have the trust of someone. You know, the first two kinds, power and authority, are they're common. Uh, they're temporary, though. They're temporary. The third kind, trust, is that the kind that has to be earned over time. Influence has got to be earned. And if you want to have influence in your son's life, or your nephew's life, or your daughter's life, or your stepdaughter's life, or your granddaughter's life, you have to care enough to keep showing up in personal ways where they are. So there's this guy in the Bible, his name's Nehemiah. I want to spend a little bit of time looking at his story. And maybe you've heard of him. He's responsible for um, the, uh, leading the charge of rebuilding the massive wall around the city of Jerusalem. Now, in the ancient times, that wall represented um, stability. It represented security. If the wall was intact and the gates were up and secure, families could rest with their kids playing in the streets. Commerce could happen. Economy could, could, could work. Well, I mean, that was a, it was very important. And the destruction of a wall around a city symbolized a breakdown of that security and also symbolized a breakdown of hope and spiritual, um, spiritual uh, bankruptcy that was happening in that time. So anyway, we pick up at, in Nehemiah, and I apologize, I don't have the, um, the, all the scripture up there, but if you have a Bible, feel free to get that, or if you brought a Bible, you can open it up and follow along. But I just wanted to uh, look a little bit about this, this wall and this charge that Nehemiah had on his heart. So we'll start in, in, in Nehemiah 1, chapter 
the room. So he's uh, so says uh, the words of Nehemiah in the month of Kislev in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Ken and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me. Those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So he heard that his people were not okay, that the wall was broken and they were distressed. And so his heart was heavy. And I want to ask for just a minute, you know, this is talking about a physical, physical wall, um, but it's also the spiritual wall is something that's broken. And as you're here today, I know we all carry with us our own things in life. And so I ask you, what walls are broken in your life? Where do you need to go to God? Where do you need to Face. It says, I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven, and then I said, and this prayer is beautiful. It says, Lord, the God of heaven, and, and remember that heaven isn't a faraway place. Heaven is right here, as close as the air we breathe. So we say, God, you're here, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you have given your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, I love this. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of, you, of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in recovering and revering revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And he says, I was a cupbearer to the king. So I want to pause for just a minute here. Nehemiah is going to God and he's saying, uh, God, and he says he's prayed for some time, and what we're going to read here in a minute, it's about four months of time, that he heard of a problem, and he prayed to God. And he didn't say, God, fix it. Basically, he said, um, I'm your servant. Like, what are we going to do together? And so when we have this, like, you know, when we allow ourselves to be known and to know God, it's entering into this with God life where we trust that he's with us close in heaven, is here, as close as the air we breathe. And he says, God, we're going to do a work together. I know my heart's burdened, and you promised your people. So, so I feel like I need your help. And then he says here, he says, um, give your servant success today. So he's saying this prayer. So you're praying for four months, fasting and praying. Give me success today. Uh, 
I'm granting you favor in the presence of this man. And so I was cupbearer to the king. And as cupbearer, he uh, was kind of in charge of the security of the king. He, he made sure that the king wasn't poisoned by drinking of the wine. So he had a very, um, his presence was important. He had to exude confidence, right? I mean, if you're presenting a cup to the king to drink out of, and if you look unsure, I mean, he's not going to want to drink it, right? So you had to be very confident in, in your presentation. And so um, we know that's important. And we know that to have that position meant that he did have the trust of the king. The king trusted the cupbearer. So it was a high-level, high-ranking position. So it goes on in, in, in verse 2. It says, in the month of Nisan, which is about four months later, um, in the year of King Artaxerxes, I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. Um, when the wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, which means to tell me that he was presenting it with a sad face. So not confident, but sad. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And then it says, I was very much afraid. So he knows, like, okay, here we go. Okay, God, it's go time. I said, be with me now. And um, I just presented myself sad. So, And if you, um, if the king wasn't confident in your presentation, you could, you could be, like, terminated, uh, like, on the spot. Like, if he was afraid, he was about to be poisoned. So, like, he was very afraid because he couldn't die. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever, because that's what you say to kings. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed with fire? So the king said to him, you're fine. He said, um, he said, what is it that you want? So he trusts him, right? What is it you want? He said, and he said that I pray to the God of heaven and I answered the king. How long do you think that prayer was? Not long. I mean, he's in the moment. So he's this with God life there, hand in hand together. He says, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. He's asking, I need to go rebuild the wall. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take? She was like, yes. I just said yes. I just said yes. And then when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. And I also said, like, while you're in the mood, while you're in the mood of, like, saying yes, let me add some more things. If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And, while we're at it, may I also have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he'll give me the timber to make beams for the gate. And this by the, uh, of the citadel, by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. So basically, he's like, can I have a military escort? Can I have the credit card home depot? We're about to get this thing up. And he says, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Because he and God are doing something good together, the king granted his request. And so then the story goes on. He goes in to inspect the, the walls. And he's looking at it, and he gathers the people um, in there, and he says, listen, I, I've, I've got this plan, I've got, the, I've got the money, I've got the plan, and the king's permission, and 
by the way, God's favor is on this. Let's rebuild the wall together. And they say, let's do it. Now, the builders of the wall were not just, like, people who built walls. It was, like, everyone jumped in together to rebuild this wall. It was a whole, like, the whole city came together to rebuild the walls that were broken. And so they go through, it lists all of these names of people that I'm going to try to do in here. But, um... So he gets them all together, and uh, they are working it. It's going well. And then um, they're pitching. Okay, so they're pitching in. But it wasn't, it, was, it didn't stop there. Okay, so I'm going to pass my spot. Oh, okay, yeah. So they weren't just building up the walls like right in their own houses. They were working on the, their neighbor's houses, the wall across the street, so they were all pitching in, and it wasn't built without issue. Okay, so, critical stage in construction. They were tired. They had been at it for a long time. They were about halfway through, and things kind of started unraveling. People were getting really tired, and uh, they were getting verbal attacks. There were threats. There was skepticism, complaints, rumors. The morale is starting to shift, and then the enemy is like, right outside the city gates, intimidating them. And the people of Jerusalem began to panic. Everyone became frightened. And it was then that Nehemiah does this really genius thing. He rallies the families and the parents um, to uh, assume a different level, a new level of responsibility for building this wall. And I do have this one up there. And this is the scene. He says, therefore, I stationed some of the people at the lowest points of the wall, at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Now, can you imagine the emotion of this moment. I mean, everyone knows the enemy is going to attack. Everybody's ready to give up. And so Nehemiah simply organizes them by families and posts them at the gaps of like a half-finished half uh, wall and says, remember what you're fighting for. Remember what all of this is about. And in that one move, Nehemiah recasts the vision for this wall in a way that it became very personal to everyone. It was no longer about a city without a wall. It was no longer about the enemy and protecting them from that. Nehemiah made it about their sons, and their daughters, and their homes. And let's be clear, what's at stake here? When Nehemiah rallied the parents, it was a game changer. Because when the parents stood in the gaps, the enemy decided not to attack. I think maybe they knew that moms and dads fight differently when they're fighting for their own children. When you're looking in the faces of your family, you face the enemy with a different kind of passion. Does it sound at all familiar? Can you think of those broken places in your lives where you just feel like the enemy is just wanting to get at you? You see it in the lives of the, the kids in your lives and you can just see where they're hurting and broken. The enemy wants to get them. And I just want to get them again. Well, does get built, 
much influence does this church have in the lives of its people? You know, we think of our past experience um, that just because we have a church, just because we exist, that when you come here, that's enough. And it's not enough. We have to equip you and help you as parents and families to show up in your homes. The greatest influence in a kid's life happens in their home, good or bad. You have the most influence in your home and in your grandparents, uh, from your grandparents. So something that we we uh, we want to introduce is something called a the phase project. Um, we see some signs over here, and what it is, it is a um, it's, it's a project that helps us understand the different phases of life that kids go through. See, nothing is more personal to a human than their body, right? I mean. The way that their brain works, the way their bodies are, what their bodies are capable of, hormones, physical needs, the context of their life that's happening to them right now in this space of life. And so if we want to show up in our kids' lives, if we want to make it personal, um, we got to know what, what phase they're in and how to communicate. But it is impossible for us to remember what it was like at those different phases. We think we do, but it is impossible to remember what it was like in preschool. I mean... In preschool, you probably have forgotten that it took over 75 more steps per minute than the average adult just to keep pace. That's why you need to slow down when you've got a preschooler with you. They don't want you to pick, pick them up because they're lazy. It's because they're tired. They're working 75 times harder than you are. Elementary school. It's difficult to remember what it was like in elementary school. That was a long time ago. I don't know if we remember the comparison crisis that happened around second grade. It's the reason we would love to start separating in these small groups in our home kids' areas. To take boys and girls into separate groups and have men model and be available and show up for boys and talk with them and process that part of life. Research shows that at, um, at this stage in elementary school, girls thrive around girls and boys thrive around boys. So we'd love to play for their, play their interests here on Sunday mornings. Um, we're going to have to separate boys and girls as they get older, but that's for not because their interests are different, but because they're just too interested in each other. Um, in middle school, it's scary to remember what it is like in middle school. Most, most of us have blocked out, or wish we could block out, middle school. We've forgotten how much we actually forget in middle school. Do you know that a middle schooler loses a third of their cerebral cortex? It's, I read it, it's a process called pruning. And you've probably yelled at your middle schooler recently, John. Um, <laughs> didn't, you, didn't you used to know this? Like, didn't you used to know this? And you're right, they did. They did used to know it. But now they don't. And they're not being irresponsible, they're just losing their minds, literally. So you just say, I'm just losing my mind. Dad, sorry, I forgot my book again. Um, so so you, we should be okay with repeating ourselves. A lot. And instead of saying, how many times do I need to tell you? Just smile and say, how can I help? And then let me know how that works for you, because I'm not very good at it. And then high school. It's easy for us to remember what it was like in high school. Some of us more easy than others. Um, but we would like to think we do. And what it was like for us in the years we were in high school. But, um, we have no idea what our high schoolers are going through. 
are more connected and disconnected than we ever were. And that we cannot completely understand what they're going through because we're not going through it. And I'll tell you this to, to make you give up on parenting or mentoring or being involved. Um, I tell you because it's important for us to understand where they are physically so we have the ability to connect relationally. When people talk about a kid's phase, it's usually in the context of it's only a phase that will pass. My mom used to say that that teenage phase is, um, it, it is it is a phase, but you're not going to go through it. <laughs> she she like, refused to let me do that. Anyway, that's another that's therapy for another day. Um, but we want to define a phase differently. A phase is a time frame in a kid's life where you can leverage distinctive opportunities to influence a kid's future. We only have about 936 weeks from the time a kid is born until they move on to what's next outside of our homes. That may sound like a ton of weeks, um, especially if your kid's in a phase that you don't particularly like that much. Um, but time will move quickly, and that phase will be over quickly. So in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about how we can practically engage and invest in kids and teenagers, not just at this church, but anyone in the next generation that we have in our lives. Um, when you walked in this morning, you should have received this phase card. And... Um, one of the ways that we are going to try to connect and to work with this project is um, to create family phase groups. Not is not needing a, um, a sign up for a Tuesday night weekly thing. Um, we want to help people connect with other parents and other uh, influencers with kids of the same age. So if you would, if you're interested in filling this out, I'm actually going to call ushers forward if you would, uh, this morning, and we will um, we'll collect these with the offering when it comes by, and the connect card on the bottom of your bulletin, if you would turn that in there as well. And they're just going to, um, they're just going to start passing that here. <laughs> So our hope is that we can find ways to connect, and we're going to learn more about that. Um, but how can we stand in the gap with parents and be a part of creating a future, a better future? Because we can do more together. And it's about connecting with other people, and it's about entering into this with God life, where we have this ongoing conversation with God about how to show up how to best parent in each phase, how to go to God in prayer, and have the, the patience to wait for the answers even. You know, in, in Nehemiah, it was beautiful because he said, I, I prayed and then I asked. How different our life would turn out, how different our conversations at home, how different our marriages, how different our jobs, how different it would alter if we led with that. I prayed, and then I asked. I prayed, and then I responded. I prayed, and then I knew how to do the next right thing. This week, as you, as you leave here, as you look at the, the places in your life, where is it, what, what, what barriers, what walls are, are broken that you need to pray and then respond? And ask you to do that this week.
going to call our um, music team forward, and uh, we're going to close with a song. But um, let me go to God here. Let us go. Oh, gracious God, we thank you so much for the lives you've given us. We thank you for the 47% of our population that is under the age of 18. God, we thank you for each of their phases that they're in. Thank you for how uniquely you've wired and created us. I thank you for the families represented in this room, for the parents and the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles and, and uh, the students and the, the single, um, not yet married, and all of the all of the different ages and stages. God, we just um, together we make up your family, and uh, we want nothing more than to honor you with our lives, to care for those you've put into this place. Uh, Spirit, we don't have the answers, uh, so we pray and we ask. We pray and we seek your guidance. Lead us um, where, we're, where we're afraid and uh, show us the way. And of the offerings and that we give this morning, God, we just pray that you use them to further your kingdom, to open doors and ministry for uh, people who are not yet here and uh, allow our influence, God, to, to go beyond the walls of this church and into our homes. We love you in the name of Jesus. We